Uh, arrogance, the Bible defines it, is an off-putting attitude of superiority or self-importance, an exaggerated self-opinion. Its opposite, or antonym, is humility. It's a quality it's defined as the quality of being respectful and modest, of having or showing a moderate estimation of oneself and one's own capabilities. Uh, we normally aren't uh, given to think that one or two qualities, uh, one or the other of such qualities, could really determine the direction and shape and possibly success of our life. Uh, but from a biblical point of view, having one or the other of these two qualities will play an absolutely critical role in how our lives uh, turn out and the end result that we will see in years to come. Uh, one of the very strongest warnings against arrogance and inducements to humility in the Bible is the uh, short information that we have on the life of King Uzziah, who was one of the kings of Israel. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, we've been recently studying important men and women in the Bible, and we're continuing our study. Uzziah's life is recorded for us in the book of 2 Kings, chapters 14 and 15, and also in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 26, and I'm going to be quoting principally from 2 Chronicles this morning. Every boy has some sort of role model. And Uzziah's father was not the best. Uh, the Bible tells us that in his father's early years as king, uh, his father followed God's uh, instruction, uh, his direction. But his father had a propensity to arrogance. And he made a couple of foolish choices, eventually turned away from God. Arrogance tends to create irritation in those around us and ultimately can even produce enemies, and it did in Uzziah's father's case, and so much so that assassins eventually conspired to kill him and eventually did. So we pick up the story of Uzziah in Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 1, and the Bible says in that verse, the people of Judah... Then crowned 16-year-old Uzziah as their next king. And then in verse 5 and 6 following, we read that Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him to be reverent toward God. So in the early years, in his teen years, we read very clearly here that young Uzziah had a spiritual mentor, a person that invested in his life, that was concerned, cared about him, that bonded with him, and through the quality of that relationship, he received wisdom, he received instruction, and grew and started maturing, uh, obviously, this individual, Zechariah, had a very deep uh, influence on young uh, Uzziah. And, of course, one of the key applications and insights for us is that we all need such a person. 
as we've said, the reason we invest a very significant percentage of your offerings in our children's and also our teen program is because we believe this. We believe that in these critical decision-making years of our teens, uh, if they do not have a person like a Zachariah speaking truth into their life and modeling for them what the Christian experience means, a healthy, fun, dynamic, growing Christian experience, obviously they're going to make a whole different set of choices and decisions than if they have such a person. And that was the case uh, with Uzziah. And we read in uh, also in verse 5, it says, As long as the king sought the Lord... God gave him success. Key phrase, as long as he sought the Lord. What's the correlation? If you and me are genuinely seeking uh, God and his direction, uh, his wisdom, his influence, opening our minds and hearts to him, we are going to receive a, a wisdom and guidance that we simply cannot receive if we're not doing that. Um. If we, we read several aspects of his success, Uzziah's success, that resulted from his genuine seeking of God over a period of time, we read in verses 6 through 8 of the same chapter, it says, God helped him in his wars with the Philistines and with the Arabs, the Israel had enemies on every side, on the east and on the west. On the west were the Philistines, on the east were the Arabs, and they were constantly in military conflict. Uh, But it says as long as he sought God, God helped him in these kind of incessant struggles that they experienced as a nation. So he was militarily successful, first of all. It says his fame spread as he became very powerful. We read on in verse 9, he says, Uzziah built fortified towers in Jerusalem and constructed forts in the wilderness. He dug many water wells because he kept great herds of livestock. Uh, He was also a man who loved the soil and had many workers who cared for his farms and vineyards. So another result of his seeking God and of his capabilities is he was a successful builder, a farmer, And wine producer, we read on, verse 11 and following, And Uzziah had an army of well-trained soldiers ready to march into battle by unit, consisting of 307,500 men, all elite troops. So we can see another aspect of his success. He was an effective leader. He mobilized and led this highly elite force of uh, individuals uh, into an effective fighting force to defend the nation uh, in its conflicts. And then we read also that he produced military machines designed by brilliant men. We can clearly see here he was a very intelligent man. He had lots of capabilities. He had the capacity to understand and support the efforts of other military strategists, and the result was a production of moving military technology forward uh, at that time and therefore strengthening uh, the nation. And so his spiritual devotion combined with his exceptional uh, gifts 
led to some very fine results. We read in verse 15 of this chapter, his fame spread far and wide, for the Lord helped him wonderfully until he became very powerful. Now, of course, success can be dangerous, and particularly if we experience success when we're young, uh, it can be very dangerous because uh, age tends to humble us. Life experiences tend to educate and inform us and, and humble us in different ways. So a lot of success early in life is always something to be very caught. There's nothing wrong with it. But if such a person experiences success, it's very wise to, to proceed carefully because it can lead to arrogance. And it did in Uzziah's case. We read in verse 16, but when he became very powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the altar. Now, some of us may be asking, oh, what's such a big deal about that? Well, the book of Exodus describes God entering into a very unique and special relationship with the nation of Israel. And he gave them lots of instructions that are actually recorded for us in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And some of those instructions included how they were to manage themselves spiritually, also economically and politically, but particularly in Leviticus, it's the spiritual regulations. The book of Leviticus contains instructions that they were to follow in managing the spiritual dimensions of their lives. And uh, one of those instructions was that there was to be a designated group that would manage the affairs of the temple, which included uh, burning incense and offering sacrifices. Now, God wasn't just playing around when he was offering uh, and providing this direction and this instruction. God is the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe. Your breath and mine is in his hand every moment. Uh, He merits respect and obedience, and he uh, expects it. And so somehow in his uh, arrogance, Uzziah decided to disregard uh, those instructions, two possible explanations for this decision to violate God-given protocol. First, he was simply ignorant. He hadn't spent time, as the Scripture instructed him to do, to discover how these kinds of affairs were to be managed. Or, secondly, he convinced himself, in spite of those instructions, that he just had a better idea, and in any case was above, he had become above and beyond normal procedures. And uh, he assumed an authority that God had not given him, and that he did not have. And so, after the death of Uzziah, he stopped seeking the Lord. Uh, the weak, his innate weaknesses resurfaced, and then the modeling of his father uh, sort of captured uh, his mind and his direction, and he asserted himself in a way that he had no right to do, and there were dreadful consequences. God had lifted him up into a position of great prominence and respect and power, 
which is also a dangerous place to be. Because once having been blessed in such a visible and extraordinary way, there's a higher level of accountability. And so uh, we read on in verse 17. After he went into the temple, a very, this very sacred place, and began burning this incense, it says, Azariah the high priest went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men. The king had the capacity to take their life at any time, but they were standing on their convictions and what was right, so they go in and confront him. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not for you to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work of the priests alone who are set apart for this work. Get out of the sanctuary. You have sinned. The Lord will not honor you for this. But he wasn't listening. His arrogance uh, was very much in place at this point. And it says Uzziah was furious, and he refused to set down the incense burner. But as he was standing there, leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. And when Azariah and the other priests saw the leprosy, they rushed him out. And the king himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. And then another couple of verses describes a very bad end. Uh, This is a stern warning in the scripture against uh, pride and arrogance. It said Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in isolation. A second king said he lived in a house by himself. Of course, leprosy can be a very contagious disease at certain stages. And so he was suddenly from this position of great prominence. God humbled him very, very deeply. He had to live in isolation in a house by himself, excluded from the temple of the Lord. His son Jotham was put in charge of the royal palace, and he governed the people. Then we read Uzziah reigned 52 years. We don't know precisely when this event happened over the long course of his reign, but it appears that there were a lot of years after this. Then he retained his, uh, his title as king, but he couldn't exercise the authority of it. It says he reigned 52 years, then died, but since he had leprosy, he was buried nearby in a nearby field. He couldn't be buried with, with honor with the kings because this had marked him in a very uh, significant way. And what a sad and terrible ending. This is a person who had been one of the most successful, gifted, able kings in the history of the nation of Israel, and his life and instead of moving on into that kind of, of success, his life ultimately became an enduring example of two key biblical insights. First, pride leads to disgrace. And this sobering verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, God sets himself against the proud. Now, Peter was writing to believing people. So obviously, God does not reject us eternally if we become arrogant as Christians, but in some very real and sobering sense, if we get too full of ourselves, if we start presuming, uh, if we gain attitudes and think we're above and beyond it all, or we get, we just get a real inflated idea about who we are and what we deserve, and the rest of it's very dangerous because God in some way 
will not bless and honor and in some sense set himself against a person with these attitudes. So key question is, what is the relevance of this information to you and me? Temple's not here anymore. You and I don't have any opportunity or certainly any temptation to make this kind of particular choice. But, of course, the New Testament says all things written for our instruction. And so we can learn several key insights. James chapter 1, verse 21. James tells us, humbly accept the instruction that God plants in your heart. It is strong enough to save your souls. Not only save us uh, from eternal separation from God and save us into an eternal relationship with him, but as we internalize it, as we ingest it, as we make it a part of our thinking, it has the strength and the capacity and power to affect deep change. In our mind, our spirit, our heart, our attitudes, our character. The book of Hebrews says the scripture is living and active. The Bible claims for itself that it is unlike any other book on this earth and that God's spirit inspired the very words of it. And it is living. It's not a dead book or simply a history book or a poetry book or whatever else. It is a living book that contains living instruction and revelation to you and me about the greatness and the character of God, our relationship to him, and how we are to conduct ourselves on this earth as his people. And so it's living, it's active, and so this uh, is a book that as we internalize it, as we make it a point to meditate routinely and regularly in its insight, it will change us. Uh, if, if you and me are too busy to meditate in Scripture for a few minutes a day, we're too busy. And that's a dangerous uh, habit to cultivate, to neglect the Scripture, because then we can develop attitudes that the Scripture uh, urges us against. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, uh, but think with sound judgment. All kinds of applications of this particular verse. Uh, in our relationship with God, this God himself uh, encourages us to think of him uh, as a father, uh, as a shepherd, uh, as a husband. And so as we think of him in those ways, of course, that, that produces within us a certain kind number of types of expectations about how he uh, should be re- respond to us, and sometimes he doesn't seem to be responding at seasons of life in the ways that are consistent with the way that he's described himself. And that can be very confusing, very painful and difficult. It can produce a crisis of faith. Uh, but in any case, if we're struggling and we develop the attitude, you know, I'm really better than this. I- I'm worth more than this. This is beneath me. This set of circumstances, this husband, this wife, this relationship, this situation that I find myself in, very dangerous. And we are urged to try to humble ourselves under God's providence and his authority and uh, retain a humble attitude. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 2 says, be humble and gentle. 
be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Uh, Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. Humility uh, leads to gentleness. you know, one of the one of the dangerous things about arrogance is that it's so difficult to see within us. I mean, it's it's that quality. It's, so, it's sort of like almost an indetectable malignancy, and so we really have to uh, seek the direction and insight from God to discern if we even have it or not, because it can slowly kind of eat away our character, our mind, our heart, our spirit, if it's in fact there, in ways that are kind of a slow uh, slow burn. Uh, But if we are trying to cultivate humility, according to this verse, we'll become gentle, not rough, aggressive, loud, angry. Uh, And this takes, of course, maturity. It says make allowance for others. doesn't say deny the faults of others. Uh, doesn't say ignore them. It says give space for them. Uh, And to uh, express the same kinds of gracious uh, attitudes toward those around us as God has for us, because he's certainly well aware of all of our faults and weaknesses, and yet he still moves towards us in an attitude of love and acceptance. It says, always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. Um, one of the key, uh, if you're in a marriage or in your family, uh, one of the key indicators of whether or not uh, you and your spouse or a family member is united in the spirit and bound together in peace as if you can pray together. A few years ago, uh, Iris and I were um, taking a short two-day holiday. It was our 25th uh, anniversary, and uh, she, she's not given to having dreams, uh, you, know, uh, you know, extraordinary visions or, or, or dreams, but she had one one morning, uh, came down to the hotel Restaurant and said, uh, I just had this most vivid, one of the most vivid dreams I've ever had in my life. Uh, I dreamed that you, that Jesus was telling you, <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> that uh, you and me, or that, you know, you, we should pray an hour a day for 30 days. Of course, we never, I, I don't know that I'd ever prayed an hour a day for 30 days alone, uh, much less, you know, with her. But, there was a whole lot of circumstances surrounding that and that dream and all, and it was so compelling. The circumstances surrounding her experience and as she came, I just, I just felt like we've got to do this. We've got to find a way to do this. And so we started doing it. Boy, if you are trying to sit down and pray with someone when there is any kind of unresolved conflict, it's almost impossible to do. Uh, and so, uh, we off, he had to work really hard at communication and conflict resolution over the course. We pulled, we find, by God's grace, we were able to do it. Uh, and we saw some really positive results in the life, in our lives, in the life of um, our sons and in our work and some other uh, dimensions. Uh, but this passage uh, says, keep yourselves united. This is hard work, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. In the conflict, the stress of life and of marriage, and sometimes our kids start melting down or having all kinds of attitudes that are difficult to cope with and so on. It is really, really hard at times to try to make this particular passage a living illustration 
of what's going on in our family. But if we make the effort and we have to humble ourselves and be willing to, of course, confess our own faults and weaknesses and sins uh, and receive forgiveness and also extend it to others, resolve the issues between us humbly, and then we can be united, it says, in the Holy Spirit and bound together with peace and avoid the conflict and hostilities and isolation and all the you know things that you and I know can go down in relationships. But the results of doing it, of avoiding arrogance and pride and cultivating humility, are abundant. I'm just going to quote three verses in conclusion. But if you wanted to do an interesting study, do a study of the word humility in the Bible. There's an amazing range of blessings that God promises to people that work hard on the cultivation of this quality. And three of them, Psalm 25, he teaches the humble his way. Proverbs 3, the Lord shows favor to the humble. You and I really want the favor of God. We do not want him, you know, against us. As as James says, you know, he sets himself against the proud, but it says here he shows favor to the humble. And then Proverbs 22, true humility and reverence for the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Let's help each other as a body, as friends, as a community to cultivate the qualities that God is pleased with and desires and avoid those that uh, can only bring pain. Let's uh, pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these extraordinary gifts that you have brought together in our worship team to lead us in such remarkable ways. Help us to be grateful uh, for this season in which you have done this for us and for our staff. We, we thank you for these wonderful uh, staff that you have pulled together, our, our, uh, Tracy and, and uh, Sarah and uh, Joe and Tanya and all the volunteers and Emmanuel and Marion and just uh, Melinda and uh, so many people do so much uh, to enable us to join together as a body, help us to be grateful Help us to humble ourselves before you in our marriages and our families. Um, I confess my uh, sins of arrogance at times. Uh, help me uh, to be a more humble person, someone who yields myself to you and my spirit, mind, and heart so that I, too, can experience the great promises and blessings. And I pray that for every one of us this morning in Christ's name.